0: In today's show, I'm going to be joined by Mitch Casey of the Ball Boys, and we're going to be talking about the 2022 NBA Draft and comparing it to 2021. Michael Bolton, he's going to sit in like a real
1: creep. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get
0: to it. Let's get to it. Indeed.
1: You are locked on fantasy basketball your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.
0: Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at basketballmonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter as always, at RedRock underscore and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Thank you for making... Locked on Fantasy Basketball, your first listen every day. We are free and we are available on all platforms. Yesterday, we went through some prospects with Ben Firefire. I encourage you to go check that show out today with Mitch Casey. We're going to be looking at guys, sort of similar players, similar positions, and comparing and contrasting them between 2021 and 2022. Warnie? Let's get it on, Gilly. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so here he is, back on the show. Mitch Casey, welcome back.
1: Thanks Josh. Good to be good to be back on the show mate talking NBA draft this time.
0: Yeah, a uh, bit of a different different spin on things as to what we did last time uh, before last season. We're going to be talking NBA draft and we're not just talking 2022. We're going to compare and contrast guys between the 2022 class and the 2021 class. Some ideas that we have on these guys, how they differ. Just as often you'll get comparisons based on position or size or play type or anything like that. So we've got uh, six little comparisons here that we are going to go through. We might, we don't need to waste any more time. We'll, we'll plug all your stuff later on. We'll talk about where you can find Mitch. You can see it on the screen here already on YouTube and you, you already know Mitch. But let's talk the first guy that we're going to talk about here. And that is, or well, the first guys, and that is a couple of big men. Chet Holmgren and Evan Mobley. Two seven-footers, a little bit on the thin side. Obviously, Chet is a lot thinner than what Evan is. Both really good defensive upside with, uh, well, defensive value probably right now, with some offensive upside. Mobley went three. I thought he should have been Rookie of the Year. He ended up second in that in that vote. I thought, thought he should have been picked two. Chet's probably going to be picked two in the draft this year. So we're, we're comparing you know, fours and fives, seven-footers together. Um. What's a major difference, do you think, between these two players?
1: So I think they're both very unique prospects. Obviously, uh, the word unicorn gets thrown around a lot um, in the NBA these days, but I think that these are probably two very appropriate uses of the words. I think that the biggest difference in my eyes is that the ability to guard in space um on the perimeter i definitely would favor someone like a mobley and the foot speed and probably the, the the handle with mobley i'm a little bit more confident in um versus i think i'm much more confident with the shot of uh chet mobley over and evan mobley sorry chet homegrown over evan mobley at this stage i think he's um you know demonstrated at the high school level and the, and at the college level he's Really good on that trailing three. Really good at that as that spot up. He's uh, probably uh, comparing the stats uh, at college that he's much more efficient, um, and I think that there's a bit of offensive upside on Chet's side of the ball versus Mobley. But I think if it was if we're comparing the two and saying who would you rather, me personally, I think I just value the the defense, defensive versatility of Mobley a little bit higher and have a bit more confidence that he's not going to get played off the court in like an NBA playoff kind of setting with the, the switching in the NBA currently, but um, two very good prospects in my mind. And in fact, I personally, I have Chet number one on my big board, but I think that they're both pretty close um, at this stage.
0: I've Chet number one also on mine. I don't think there's really any danger of Chet being defensively played off the court. I know that there's the size thing, but you know, people can put on weight. But I also think that, yes, I do agree that Mobley's defensive ability, because we've seen it in the NBA, it was already amazing, right? But I think if you had a viewed Mobley before we hit the NBA draft, you wouldn't have said, well, his defense is significantly better than Chet's necessarily. But we saw him do it at the NBA level, so it does give him a plus there. But I don't think that Chet is going to be killed in switches. I think he can actually guard I don't okay. think so
1: either, to be clear. I just think that the... The foot speed is definitely, yeah, even true. if you look back at the tape at the college level, it, Mobley's foot speed was definitely noticeably uh, faster than Chet's. And that's my only concern. But insane, I don't think he's going to get played off the court. I think he's just going to play a different style of defense. He's gonna be a bit more in drop versus a little bit less switching, um, which you know you just build your defense around that and it's up to the coach to get the most out of that. So yeah, just I, to be clear there.
0: I think Chet is a better rim protector than what yep. Mobley is. Um significantly in terms of passing, I, I don't know where they sit offensively I think they both have some upside to become pretty solid passes. Chet maybe has the edge now, but I, I'm not sure with that one. And I agree pretty with close. you. I agree with you on the shooting. Now Chet is a guy that I've been high on for like two, three years. Like, I've heard about him. I watched literal high school games of this guy play, which you don't do for everybody. Like, you watch certain players from that age and go, okay, well, I've heard about this guy. I know what he's going to bring. Mobley wasn't one of those players, even though I was pretty high on him last year and had him clearly at number two um, as we headed into the draft. If I had to take it again, I probably would take Chet over Mobley. Just I think that upside is a little bit higher, but it's very hard to discount what I've seen from Mobley. Like I've already seen all NBA, all defense level play. Like I've already seen that. And Chet might not ever get to that level. So that that's hard to discount. But again, some of my priors on there with Chet make me think there is more offensive upside, more rim protection. If they can merge together, I, th- I think we have a prospect that's just a, a smidge better than what Mobley can become, but it's, it's pretty close to me. And I think I think that's how we we look at that. Now, do you think that both of these guys, they are long-term fours? We saw Mobile play at the four a lot this year. Chet's probably going to have to start at the four. Or do you think in time, they both can become uh, full-time centers?
1: I I think for both of them, their best position is center. I know that people get really concerned about their size and their weights and things like that. But for me, I think that's all overblown. Um, The NBA is different these days. And and sure, you can say they're going to struggle guarding players like Jokic and Embiid. But... Everyone struggles guarding Jokic and Embiid. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I think that their, their defensive versatility, their floor spacing that they could potentially provide is, is probably most valuable at the five. Um, so I see them definitely long term being best at that position. Um, and you know, you've got players coming through like, obviously, Mobley and, and Chet, if they're both, you know, fives in there, you know, say the Magic take them at number one. Then they're guarding each other at the five. Um, you've got um, the the guy from France coming through as maybe the number one pick last year. So next year, yeah, who's pick, going to be a skinny center? Yeah, Nyama who's um, yeah. So there's size and physical strength is less important in my eyes, and and the fact that they will have the ability to put on. Mass, as they grow into their bodies, it just presents even more upside in my opinion. So um, I'm not too concerned. I think, yeah, long-term, I view them as fives.
0: Yeah, I think that's basically exactly the way that I feel about those guys. But I'll tell you what else I feel pretty strongly about, and that is Saqqara, because we all know that feeling your best and being your best, part of that is nutrition and getting the right meals into your body with the right nutrition, and Saqqara is here for you. It is time, according to Sakara, to seek wellness, to seek joy, and to seek abundance in all areas of your life. That sounds a little wanky, but Saqqara is not. It is a fantastic meal and nutrition-based program. It's a wellness company anchored in food as medicine on a mission to nourish your body through the power of plants. The nutritionally designed chef crafted breakfasts, lunches, and dinners are made with powerful plant-rich ingredients, helping boost your energy, support your digestion, curb your sugar cravings, and get your skin glowing. Plus, it's all delivered right to your door, ready to eat. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash locked on 20. Or you enter the code locked on 20 at checkout. That's Saqqara, S-A-K-A-R-A.com, slash locked on 20. You get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash Locked on 20. All right, let's go to another couple of big men here, Michi. And we're talking about Jalen Duren, center out of Memphis. And of course, old mate, the delicate dancer, Alperen Shengun. Houston Rockets big man who all of us across the fantasy spectrum were pretty excited to see him get some minutes. Yeah. It didn't happen until right at the end of the year. But how do we view these two? I thought Shengun was criminally underdrafted. In last year's draft, I would have had him top six, top five probably in that draft. Um, Duran is probably going to fall outside the top 10, but end up being a higher pick than what Shangoon was in the lottery. I think that, to me, this one's pretty clear. I don't know. I, we haven't discussed which way we sort of sit on these two. To me, this one is clear. I think Sengun is the better prospect between these two. There's a lot more offensively. He's got a lot of good defensive markers as well. I think there's a little bit more. Well, there's definitely more shooting upside in Shengun. There's more passing upside in Shengun. Duren is a little bit bigger, probably a little bit better defensively, but I'm not sure it's going to be that much of a difference. And if I had to choose the two head to head, I would pretty clearly at this point take uh, take Shengun. What would you say between
1: these two? Um, I think they're they're very disparate, different prospects. I think. Whilst I, I do agree with you that the upside of shang is higher, I mean, we're talking like he, you know, you, you compare the stats of, you know, um, a Nikola Jokic and shang in their rookie seasons, they're actually remarkably similar, um, but For me, I worry about the play style of Sengun and how successful that that kind of play style can be in the NBA when we're talking about championship-level contenders. So for me, I see the ability for Duran to fit inside a a championship-level team a bit of a a smoother fit. Um, And and again, I'm someone, when I'm evaluating prospects, I always sort of favor the defensive side of the floor, especially when it comes to my big guys. I don't know if I want my offense running through a player like shangun unless he develops into a truly elite level offensive threat and i have my doubts about that i obviously i love his fantasy translation and i, I value him much higher in that regard um but when it comes to real life nba impact i don't know I, i'm a bit closer to you and i think i actually would even favor the duren side of things just because i do see a little bit of up, upside on the offensive i see some passing instincts that i like and I just much prefer him as a lob threat and as a as a defensively versatile big man, which I guess is just my preference for how I'd be constructing my roster. But that's again, it's more of a preference thing.
0: I I agree lob threat wise, yes. All right, he's he's clearly better, Duran, than, than Shingun. I don't have any debate with that. Rim protection probably is better. But I wouldn't Shingun's, Shingun's not a bad rim protector. He's actually pretty good. And I think defensively he is hurt a little bit by the European big man stereotype of, you know, you're going to get cooked because you're a European defensive big man. That's standard thing. When I don't necessarily think that's true. I think his positioning is really good. His hands are really good. He's a not a bad rim protector. And while you talk about, you know, the, the level of getting to the playoffs and success there, is Duran a guy that you can rely upon to play 30 minutes? Or is he going to be a guy that has to end up playing 22 minutes, 23 minutes on on a good team as like sort of an in-between backupy sort of uh, big man versus a, a guy like if Sengun does develop, that he can become a, a full-time starter because he can work on both ends of the court. Whereas I, I worry a little bit about Duren's ability. I think he can still do it, but at the extra size that he has, can he can he switch out there? Can he get, can he actually get played off the court because he's not bringing enough offensively and then having some of those defensive issues at the highest, highest levels.
1: Yeah. I think it, defend, it depends on like the, the matchup, I guess. Like if you look at someone like a Robert Williams in these yep. playoffs, he's someone who you would consider, like obviously he's not a great defender in space, but he's been able to play significant minutes and be a huge impact for the Boston Celtics. Um, and, and it, it, it might even come down to which conference you're drafted in. So like, you know, in the Eastern Conference, there's there seems to be at the moment with the teams in there, and obviously this will evolve. But there seems to be a bit more value with those big guys when you're coming up against a and B, if you're coming up against a Milwaukee and a Giannis. So those guys have a bit more impact on that conference again at this stage versus the West when you're going against the Warriors or the or the Dallas Mavericks and things like that. Those players tend to get played off the court a little bit more. So it's it's hard for me to project too far into their careers from that perspective. But I do think that he can have a similar impact to someone like a Robert Williams. And we can see him being impactful in the playoffs at the moment. So um, for me, I would say that, yeah, he can definitely still be a top six or seven rotation player in a very good team. And and for me, that's, that's enough for me to sort of take the punt on his upside.
0: Yeah, I can see the Robert Williams thing. That does make a lot of sense to me. Um, he's also a, a guy, Duran, who's really young. Shengun was really young last year as well. Yeah. And Duran is like the youngest player, I think, in this draft class. So they've both got that on their side in terms of when you're drafting them. I can easily see that argument for Duran as being just that better defender. And if it does work and he can stay on the court, then that value is really high. And Shengun might not hit the upside that I think he does have. But it, it is an interesting debate nonetheless. Um, and we'll see how those guys end up. We'll see where Duran ends up. Because you're right, fit is going to be important to see how these guys do work. But if you want the fit of the number one source for all of your betting info and stats, bet online. It's clearly the place. You can find all the latest sports developments, news and odds, including the NBA Finals, which we've got Game 3 coming up in a couple of days, actually tomorrow. The NHL Hockey Conference Finals which could be over some of those by then. Major League Baseball, fighting news, MMA, UFC, boxing, all of that stuff. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and more. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action. BetOnline is where the game starts. Let's do the lazy one. Let's do the Aussie point guard, big, big point guard players, Josh and Dyson Daniels, who um, at first glance you go, okay, they're six foot seven, six foot eight, Australian guys who can pass. And that is all true, Mitch. Except, actually, they're both, let's try again. They're both six foot seven, six foot eight, Aussie guys who can pass and can't shoot. But one of them is a much better passer, and one of them yeah. is a very good defender. Daniels being the defender, Giddy being the very good passer. And that's you know, the similarities. I guess end at nationality, height. Really, like they yeah. they're gonna be always grouped together, and that's why I put them together. But there are significant differences between the two. Now I don't know how you viewed Giddy before last year's draft. I actually had him at six in last year's draft.
1: Six, I think, as well. Yeah,
0: so we were much higher on him than consensus, and I think that that worked out in our favor as to how he played this season. Um, I've got Daniels at eight at the moment with his defensive ability. I'm a little bit worried offensively because Giddy couldn't shoot, but he had all that creation ability where Daniels doesn't have that same level of vision and passing. But defensively, he's right there. He could come in and have a defensive impact. Yeah, he's not saying that he's Scotty Barnes or Herb Jones, but we've seen defenders come in and be able to have impacts as rookies last year a lot. And I think Daniels could do that. So to me, I still do value as a guy who's a guard having that playmaking and creation ability for others probably a little bit higher than the defensive stuff that Daniels brings. So I probably would have Giddy just a little bit above him, but I have probably the same lack of faith in both of their shooting abilities. Maybe mm. Daniels slightly higher. How are you viewing these two players?
1: Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. Um shout out to the Aussies though for being the high wow. IQ passes that they are um I think that again it comes down to fit I've, I've got Dyson Daniels as my um sixth ranked prospect in this draft mm-hmm. and in some circumstances I could even see him going as high as five depending on your views on sharp but I think that depending on the fit like if I'm a New Orleans Pelicans yeah. I think that that's a perfect place for him to go we've seen them develop Shots like uh, Herb Jones and and even Alonzo Ball in in the past. Um, Alonzo Ball is actually a really good comparison that I that I have for yeah. for Dyson Daniels. I can see that versatility and that switching ability on defense. And and he's a Whilst he's not as good a passer as Josh Giddy, he doesn't have that cerebral kind of passer guy open kind of ability. He is someone who can definitely he's a ball mover. He's someone that can run the point guard. He can be a two guard. He can kind of fit in amongst a lot of different teams. So. From a versatility point of view, I lean Daniels, but from a from an upside point of view, I think Josh Giddy definitely has a higher upside. And if you're looking for a you know, someone who could be an all-star or be potentially like a you know, second or third best player on a on a championship team, then Giddy will definitely have that. I don't necessarily see all star potential from Dyson Daniels. I just think he's a really good starting level player that will contribute to winning basketball. And so depending on where you are in the draft and what you're looking for, that's sort of the way I see both these players. But I guess if you're thinking overall upside, I think I'm, I'm definitely on the on the Giddy side of things with his uh, ability to pass people open and run the offense a bit more uh, on his own.
0: What if both of these guys could hit 36% of their threes? Like, which one do you value more—the the shooting and passing of Giddy, or the shooting and defense, the three and D
1: of Dyson Daniels? I, I, I think the Giddy side of things, just because that he can he can really become a big offensive threat and. That his defensive lacking, like his ability to lack on defense, is covered up by the fact that he's six foot seven. Like yep. if if you're big enough, even if you're not the best defender, you you've got the ability to switch on to bigger guys. You can maybe hide him on a, on a lesser potent uh, offensive threat. Um, and and I'm I'm just not worried about his size. Like a Kemba Walker being just bullied in the post and and mismatched crazily. So I'd lean giddy that way.
0: I agree. And you've seen guys like Devin Booker. We've seen guys like Zach Levine who are horrendous defenders early in their career. Their teams got better. They got more experienced. They have that size and length as well. They're not good defenders, but they will never have good defensive prospects or no good defensive tape early on. But now they are averaged, and sometimes you might even say Devin Booker's an above-average defender. The size helps, the experience helps, and playing on a better team helps those guys out a lot. And you can see that same sort of trajectory, I guess, for Giddy as he plays three, four, five years in the league. The Thunder become a good team, and that length starts to translate. He gets more experience. He plays the angles. He's already got the IQ. You know, playing the angles with that length, I can see that. I would have Giddy over... um, over Daniels as well, because I do value that passing ability. But let's go completely defense here, really, and talk about a guy that you just referenced, and that's uh, Herb Jones for the New Orleans Pelicans, and a guy who I'm pretty high on in this draft. I'm not sure what's going to happen with his offensive uh, stuff, and that is the forward, Jeremy Sohan, out of Baylor. Um, Really good defensive player already. Now, of course, Jones was picked in the second round, but if we did a redraft, he would not be. He's also he's going higher. He's also a lot older though. Jones, I think he's like twenty-two rookie year, whereas Sohan's going yeah. to be nineteen. Um, and we saw Jones' shot develop into being from a horrendous. I think he shot. I think I heard someone say he shot seven percent as a freshman in college from three. It was pretty bad, Herb Jones. And then like twenty-nine percent as a senior or something, or junior, whatever it was. Um, where Sohan has got. Yes, a lot of work to do offensively, probably not quite as much as what Herb did, but Jones's defensive ability was elite, and it translated across to the NBA as elite. Now, we have seen Jones be an elite defender already at the NBA level. I worry a little bit, Mitch, about Jones's upside. Like We saw him play 29 minutes a night this season, really good, but is there a little bit of the thigh ball factor is that the offense will never be actually good enough to play those big, big, big minutes? Um, and play 35, 36 and become even like an average offensive player, even though he took, he was like a horrible offensive player to become a below-average one. I'm not sure if he can actually take that further. I think Sohan's got the ability to maybe become an average offensive player, but me seeing Jones do it and do it at that level, as much as I like Sohan, I might actually take her. But The age... I'm torn. I want to hear your thoughts before I make my final call, but I'm torn on this. I'm leaning marginally towards Jones, but the three-year age gap... And the perhaps offensive upside, a little bit of Sohan, is making me doubt it.
1: It's it's a difficult one. Obviously, it, we're comparing players that, well, one, we haven't seen in the NBA system and one we have. Um, you know, there's, a I think, like a three or four-year difference in age. Um, so my initial instinct is to definitely say that Sohan has the upside. He's bigger. He, um, he probably has more versatility in terms of guarding, you know, fours and fives than a Herb Jones, which you could probably say is more valuable. Like he, he could be definitely a small ball five in some lineups. Yep. Um, hence the comparisons to a Draymond Green, which I think by the way, I need to stop. Can we stop comparing everyone to one of the best defensive uh, it's, players it's, of our generation?
0: The other one you, you get is like, Oh, he, he's a, he's a wing who's really good defensively, but can't shoot. So maybe he turns into Kawhi Leonard. Like, It just doesn't happen. Like, it happened to Kawhi Leonard because Kawhi Leonard was Kawhi Leonard and that's why it's so remarkable. But yeah, Patrick Williams and Isaac Okora and Jeremy Sohan, they're not Kawhi Leonard. Maybe they become good, but Jesus, like, we can't expect that. And the same with... Hey, this guy's a a little bit, like, sort of chunky and short, but a good rim protector. So is he Draymond? Like, of course he's not.
1: No. Yeah. Nobody is. I think think I'd I'd be really interested to see where Sohan goes and what team he ends up on. Like, if he ends up on, like, an OKC at 12 or even even a um uh say like a new orleans um say so they don't get a dyson daniels like some of those teams that have the ability to develop their talent a bit better i would hate to see him go to like a knicks for example oh, yeah. um you know something like that it would definitely dramatically change my view on what sohan can become um so at this stage i'm leaning I'm leaning Sohan for the upside. I feel like Herb Jones may have, maybe maybe not topped out in terms of his value, but I don't see that much more growth potential from him on the ups, on the offensive side of the floor. Um, he's a great wing defender, um, but in terms of his ab- ability to impact the entire court, uh, switching on to bigs and things like that, I don't think he has the upside that Sohan does. Um, in saying that, you know, Sohan, he he shot 29% from three. Uh, in his college season, low volume obviously. Um, Herb Jones shot 35% in his final year, but like you referenced before, the year before that, he did shoot 7%. (laughs) So you know, maybe if you take into account growth and, and maybe the two kind of Correlate, maybe you can see a big jump from Sohan. It, it's it's really tough to tell, but I'm going to lean the upside and the youth of, of Sohan over Jones.
0: Yeah, look, I, I've got Sohan like at six or seven on my board, or somewhere in that range anyway. And I think still though, I, I might take her because getting that level of defense, yeah. it's really hard to say. Well, someone might get to that level because they just they it's don't. theoretical. Yeah, like this yeah. is like a top ten to twelve defensive player in the NBA already. And the three-year age gap gives me pause, the offensive limitations of Jones, even though he improved a lot. Again, like you, I'm not sure how much further it goes. I think I still mm. will take Herb Jones here, but let's let's really flip it now and go from defense to offense. And let's talk about Jaden Ivey versus Jalen Green, two explosive athletic guards who have some struggles defensively at times, especially Green, um, And you, you hope that they can develop into these, I think Green probably is, you know, well on his way there, these athletic number one scorer types who can handle the ball and become combo guards. Ivy's probably more combo guard than shooting guard. At this point, Green probably can get there. I would say at this point, I have Green f- pretty firmly above where Ivy is, but... Yeah, Ivy could very easily. I think they could actually work together. And I picked Ivy at three in my mock draft a couple of days ago. Um, I, I have Green ahead slightly, but I don't think it's that. I don't think it's that big of a gap.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's that big of a gap either. I'm a big Ivy fan. Um, I, I, I didn't know you drafted him to to three at Houston because I actually I love that. I was tempted to do that in. Our first mock draft that we did, um, because I I don't like the fit of a Paolo Macario next to uh, a Shangoon on that team, and I, I'd love to see Jaden Ivey at least trialed at a, at a point guard position because I think that you know my closest comparison to him is someone like a Russell Westbrook. He's got that explosive ability. Maybe he hasn't played point guard at college, but I can definitely see that in him. Um, I I was a bit lower on green last year. Lower in saying that I didn't think that he was the number two pick. I thought he was more like a four. I think I had him four behind a a Suggs and a Mobley um, because of the defensive concerns and because of the shot selection concerns. Now, he obviously had a season kind of not of two halves, but of, you know, three quarters and one quarter (laughs) where the the last quarter of the season where he went crazy, um, how much of that was just them force feeding him and coming up against teams that have kind of put the cue in the rack. You know, we compare him to someone like an Anthony Edwards, um, who had a similar type of season. It's hard for me to, to read on what he's going to do. I think he's probably got a higher offensive upside in terms of being like a 25 to 30 point per game scorer for his career versus Jaden Ivey. But I'm more confident that Ivey going to be a better defender. I think I just lean green for that upside reason, but I'm very intrigued by the experiment of Jaden Ivey being a point guard. So, um, you know, say Houston does select him and, and play him at point over at Kevin Porter Jr., I'd be very excited to see that. And I think that he has a, a lot of upside if he can actually become a, a point guard in the NBA.
0: Yeah, look, it, it is a tough one here as well. And Ivey is the better defender. I think green is the better scorer, but Ivy's the better passer. So they've got their, their own strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. Obviously, I probably, yeah, look, I like you. I didn't have Green at two last year. I had him at three, I think. And yeah, I wasn't as big on him, and he obviously let us down. Yeah, you know, he didn't let us down, but he didn't play well for the first, you know, seventy yep. percent of the season. And then you're right; some thing, factors happened, and Eric Gordon and Schroeder and Wood were out. And, but he also improved in that same time. And I think he'll be he pretty pretty solid next season. I, I am. I think Ivy will struggle a lot this year. I think it'll be a similar trajectory. Where if the first seventy percent of the year, you probably look pretty poor, as a lot of these guards do. Darius Darius Garland, De'Aaron Fox. These guys all look terrible in their first uh, first season in the NBA. And I think Ivy will be the same. So, if
1: he goes to the Kings, though, if he goes to the Kings, I'm definitely, uh, I'm team Jalen Green all the way.
0: <laughs> hey, that's that, that's completely fair enough. And, and I, I reckon that's probably where he's going to end up. But I do have some faith that this is a tighter battle than maybe it seems on the surface. I will yeah. lean green, but I think Ivy's got the potential to be the number two player in this 2022 draft class, which is you know, pretty, high, pretty high price. Now, this one is, this last one we're going to do is an interesting one because a lot of people not including me, were really high on James Booknight last season. Thunder fans were crying that he didn't get picked at number six. That's guaranteed. He's going to six. We love it. I was like, no, no, no. I don't like it. I don't want him in the top 10. I don't think he's very good. I think he's a shoot-first guy that can't do it very well and can't do really much else. Um, and let's be fair, he was bad like all season. Had some attitude issues. Had a couple of good games, but basically played in the G League all season. He is that 6'5 guard who shoots, scores, but I'm not really sure what else he's bringing. And I sort of feel the same way about Benedict Matherin. That's why I've compared these two here. I am not particularly high on Matherin. He's probably a little bit stronger with a little bit more defensive upside, maybe a little bit better shot selection. And because I was so low on Booknight last season, and he somehow underperformed my low expectations, I don't really have any other option, I don't think, to go with Matherin. Where where were you on Booknight? Were you a Booknight believer? Are you still a Booknight believer? And how do you compare these two?
1: Uh, well, anyone who listens to our podcast knows that I book nights become a bit of a punching bag on uh, our <laughs> our NBA draft podcast. Um, I think I settled in him close to the late teens last year, Ooh, sort of okay. the 20th kind of range. Um, Matherin, to me, in this draft is probably the back end of the lottery. I've got him and AJ Griffin kind of sliding back towards that last bit of the lottery at sort of 12, 13, 14. Yeah, I had him at 14 um,
0: yesterday, at Matherin.
1: Yeah, in the different drafts, obviously, I think last year was a bit stronger, but I still would favor um, Benedict Matherin just because of his um, athletic upside. The defense, even though he hasn't really shown anything statistically great this year, he's a bit longer, at least by perception. He probably has a bit more upside there. I agree that I like his shot selection a lot better than a book night. Um, You know, he he has this perception of like a really good 3 and D, player but without the three and without much D as well, like his, his shooting actually isn't as good as what I think is led on to be. Um but I do see flashes of of a good potential um a bit higher than Book Knight. So I, I'm pretty comfortably in the in the Benedict Matherin side of things. More so like you I was just never a fan of Book Knight. He he's son he, he kind of gets that love of people saying that he's a baller. He goes and gets mm-hmm. buckets um which people just seem to love to throw out there um, and yeah, for me, that just doesn't hold enough weight when you've got so many other deficiencies.
0: Yeah, especially when like when you get to the NBA and you're just not going to have the opportunity to get buckets because you're not good enough yeah. to have the ball in your hands. It, it is pretty clearly to me, Mather, and, and yeah, I, I think okay, I think i had booked Knight at 13 or 14 last year and that was, I feel like, too high based on the way that he played. Look, he still might become good because as I just detailed, plenty of guards suck. Like They're terrible yeah. at, to begin their NBA career. Fox, Garland, really two examples who were just dreadful for the first full season of their career. And maybe Booknight turns it on. I doubt it, but maybe he does. I still would take Matherin. He is a little bit bigger than Booknight, although he's not as big yep. as what he was officially listed at uh, throughout the college season. I think yeah, he measured in at maybe six four and a half uh, At the yeah. combo, combo, when he was like listed 6'7", six, 6'6 six, six at Arizona... So he's a little bit smaller there, so he's probably not quite wing size, more guard. Probably a little bit p- better passing ability, but it's not particularly strong there. But his overall body size and strength, I think, does give um, Matherin the the advantage there over yeah, uh, old uh, Jimmy Booknight.
1: I think, I think he'll also translate to a better role player in the NBA. I think he's going to be someone who can actually fit what he's going to be drafted for. Whereas I think... The hope for book night was that he turns into like your best scorer or the second best scorer on your team and, and i just never saw that as a possibility so benedict i think is going to play what you're going to draft him for
0: yep i i agree with that wholeheartedly mitch that'll do it for us today tell everybody where they can find you social media and your youtube channel and what you got going on over there
1: yeah so you can find me on twitter at ball boys nba you can follow us on instagram at ball boys fantasy basketball and on youtube we are the ball boys fantasy basketball podcast so Um, Hit us up over there. We're talking a lot of fantasy once the season starts or even before the season starts and at the moment We're doing a lot of draft content. We've just released um, some Versus videos where we're breaking down we go in detail with the top five uh, Specifically the top three forwards and then the two guards in Ivy and Sharp head-to-head We've recently gone through a lot of the guards and the centers in the NBA and coming out soon we're going into a big uh, chat, a lot, a lot of wings in this draft uh, clumping together in the lottery and then sort of mid-first round as well. So we're breaking down uh, both myself and, and my co-host Callum's thoughts on that part of the draft. Um, and then lots of fantasy stuff once the, the draft actually happens and dynasty rankings, all that good stuff once we get close to the NBA season. So check us out over there.
0: Absolutely. Go and uh, go and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Follow Mitch and Callum over on the uh, so- social medias as well. Mitch, thanks again for, uh, for coming on the show and, and chatting NBA draft with me. No worries, Josh. Always a pleasure. And that'll do it for me today. Don't forget, go follow Mitch at his YouTube channel. I'm going to tag that here in the YouTube description and in the title. So go follow him there. Follow me, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. Give us a thumbs up. Leave your comments down below, guys. We are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.